Electronics Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am accompanied by my co-hosts, Dixie Cochran. Hi there. And Eddie Webb. Hello. Hello. I am uh, faced with a very odd situation where, as we record on Zencaster, I am not seeing my volume line spike at all when I speak, so I can only hope that my voice I'm, is coming I'm through. I know that it. my co- uh, well, I know my co-hosts can hear me and see it, but I cannot, so who knows? It's a mystery. Like that evolution, it's time. a mystery. So I just assumed that you, know, you, you dub me in later, honestly. I've never had that happen to me on Zencaster. Mm. I can always see my little voice spike. Speaking of things that have never happened before, I'm really looking forward to us <laughs> doing another episode of homebrewed games it's been a while now since we last did that oh, and that would be yeah. fun to do again yeah hmm. when did we do that yeah. last it was a long time ago I yeah was, I we was must... living in delaware still really I, I know i think we've I think I done was. them almost like every 50 episodes or so and have just missed the last uh, the 150 or thereabouts but uh and you know we didn't time it it just seemed to fall that way um, so yeah, we're probably due one, but that isn't uh, the subject of our episode today. August 21st. When? Well, last August year was a strangely dilated pool. Oh, maybe yeah. I did do it last year. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Which games did we Sorry, talk about last up. time? That that was the one where, um, uh, I, I had actual prompts, um, and, and restrictions on. Oh, our right. Things. Yes, so I yes, I remember that. You did stuff. You had well, like your hmm. kind of climbing, di- di- or, or, or people digging into the ground. I had forgotten that one because it was less absurd than the one where we did like <laughs> Dragon Tensei, <laughs> Cooking Mama, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Speaking of Dragon Tensei, whatever that game was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have been reading manga recently, which is why I made that digression. My God. Um, I know, right? But uh, I, I um, recently installed the uh, Shonen Jump app uh, because the, it is, for people that aren't aware of it, it is a ridiculously good deal. It's like $2 a month for literally tens of thousands of chapters of, of manga. Um, and I was like, sure, why not? I haven't really read a ton of it. I'm, I'm curious about it. Um, and so I picked uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! It was a, a title I recognized. And it's like, oh, it's about games. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I might enjoy that. Um, and it is a weirdly interesting look at game design. Uh-huh. Um, because the um, uh, writer slash artist, there's a term, I'm, I'm pretty manga I don't remember. Um, uh, but the person who wrote and, and drew the, the series is really into games. And so like the first 70 or so chapters, it's just a different game every story arc. Um, so, like, there's one episode about clock solitaire, and there's one about, um, uh, you know, rock, paper, scissors. Uh, and then it gets into the collectible card game arc. And then mm-hmm. after that, it gets into this other kind of tabletop role-playing game thing. And the story will actually talk about, here are the, here's why this game design decision was done a certain way, because he's almost always facing game designers. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about, I designed this game for this way. And of course, they're all nefarious and they, they cheat, but they explain how they cheat and what the rules are. And they will all have to recap the rules at important points. And the rules are consistent throughout the story. It's not just made up randomly. They, the rules actually follow and make sense. And the rules are decently designed. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the first like seven volumes, they actually had like a board game in the back. And most of them are kind of just roll and move kind games. But sometimes they had some interesting little strategy elements and... It was one of those like, 
I actually got some really interesting game design ideas from reading this 30-year-old's manga. <laughs> That's awesome. It, it, it is weirdly interesting. So if you if people are interested in like gaming culture in the late 90s specifically, because there's story arcs about like digital pets, which were very much at the <gasps> of its time. Yes. Um, I had so many Tamagotchis. And also why collectible card games were so popular. Um, uh, but also it had like a really cool game design. Um, it was called uh, Combat Monster Chess, I think. Uh, but basically, um, you get little, um, you know, when you do go to a vending machine, you get a little plastic bubble and you just some, you yeah. open the bubble and shove yeah. inside of it. It's called the gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, they have monsters in those and you literally just get random monsters and put them on the board and then you fight them in a kind of a, a tabletop war game style. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 um, plastic bubble had a number on it, which is like, you had a certain number of levels. So, uh, in the game, they did a completely random draw, and of course the protagonist got a very bad draw, and so blah blah blah. But ostensibly, the game is designed that way. It's the okay. I'll have thirty levels of monsters. And you have three levels of monsters. You pick these ones, and you, the opponent doesn't know exactly what you have, just the numbers and how powerful they are. And you put them on the board, and then you reveal them. Is like, oh, you have this monster versus that monster. Um, so it's an interesting set of how card game um, uh, information, closed information, works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also the the point balance and placement of a Warhammer style tabletop game, and like I okay, I want to play that actually. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it sounds. Uh, I mean, there's uh, there's echoes of uh, in I don't know if they were available in the US. Monsters in my pocket, which predated mm-hmm. Pocket Monsters or Pokemon. Uh, the basically went through all of the old mythological. Uh, monsters, and they all had point ranks, and you would either play, you know, play the ones you had collected, or draft a random selection. And they all had point values, and so on. And I can see how that can easily be translated to a chess or a card game. Mm-hmm. Um, feel are you even you have something similar in Final Fantasy VIII with the card game in mm-hmm. that, and I think there were card games in subsequent Final Fantasies which I didn't play. Um, but uh, that was released around... The, I guess that was released around the time the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga was out, which was obviously out before yeah. the, the uh, cartoon. Late 90s, yeah. probably. Uh, yeah, so what, early I about the, what I understand about the cartoon was that um, uh, uh, the manga came out, they did uh, uh, the collectible card game arc, apparently became really popular, and uh, did some other stuff. Because the original intent was supposed to be a horror comic that featured games. He wanted to do a horror battle comic that didn't involve actual fighting. And so the first like, mm. year or so of it is really kind of, for a kid's comic, pretty gruesome. Um, and it's much more kind of uh, this dark person possesses you and you'll play this game very Saw-like. It's like, you'll play this game and if you, if you fail, you will die, kind of yeah. vibe. <laughs> Would like, you like to play a game? And I'm like, why, why are kids watching this anime about this? But what happened was, the because the card game version became popular, they kind of... St- Start the anime more or less at that arc. Mm-hmm. Um, there yeah. was a completely different season done by a completely different studio that didn't really go anywhere, but then it's kind of informally called season zero. So the Yu-Gi-Oh that we saw in, overseas very much is just a collectible card game, and there's like one digression into uh, mm-hmm. a, a dice battle game. When, the, when the, the, the artists still trying to like incorporate new games or once in a while, but the, you know, the, the card game was just so popular it hit right after Magic the Gathering. Um, and uh. the original card game in this 
comic was supposed to be, it's very obviously a Magic the Gathering analog. It's like, how can I do Magic the Gathering without actually getting sued? Kind of. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I have, I, I've seen many a Yu-Gi-Oh card from working at game stores. So they're just anime-ass looking Magic cards. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I always, always thought Blue Eyes, White Dragon sounded like a ranking member of the KKK. Yeah, um, same. Um, <laughs> or his rival, Red Eyes, Black Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um but I there's another, there's another now. show. <laughs> well, I have to say, Eddie, I really love it when you're enthusiastic about these things and waxing eloquently about them because it is in fact about a manga and anime series that came out in the mid nineties, <laughs> right? yeah, well, decades ago. Yes, you know, it's like it's like reading a Twitter thread from Eddie about Sherlock Holmes movies that started in 1920. Um, no, no, never. Uh, there's another series, both manga and, but it's a live action TV series uh, that is very similar to the original Yu Gi Oh! that sort of death trap uh, mm-hmm. style called, it's called Alice in Borderland, which oh. it is an, it's very, it's very new on Netflix. It's only had its first season released, but the manga's been out for a few years and it's concluded now after about 100 issues, I think. And um, it's a series where the main character, Arisu, uh, hence Alice, which is an interesting uh, translation. Uh, yeah, that's, that's like, it, Arisu is how you would say Alice in Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so it's, it's, it's not so much an, an, an interesting translation, it's just the actual how you would do it, because that's how words work in Japanese. Well, it's a guy uh, called Aris who, who mm-hmm. with his friends, uh, transl- uh, translates, with his friends, emerges from a subway station in the middle of Tokyo and everyone else has disappeared. And they find their way to one of the only lit up parts of the city and they are suddenly embroiled in a sore death trap dungeon, uh, early Yu Gi Oh style game where they have to. U- they're basically card-suited games with different uh, ranks of difficulty, depending on the uh, height of the card, you know? Oh, and the face mm-hmm. cards are the hardest ones, naturally. Um, mm-hmm. And I, from memory, I think, yeah, hearts uh, challenges are all based around passions, emotions. Uh, I think the... And I may get these wrong. I think spades are all about conflicts and violence. Diamonds are logic puzzles and for the life. And I think clubs might be teamwork. But either way, um, you can't finish a club puzzle unless the team works together, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a very interesting series, both from, uh, in both of its incarnations. Uh, there are some differences uh, uh, between the manga and the live action, but not that many. Uh, but what I found most interesting from it is how easily I can pull plots from this show uh, as the characters discover um, other survivors, other people who have transported, who may have been there even longer, and they're wondering what mm-hmm. exactly has happened to Tokyo. Where are we? Some people are now only just arriving a few days later. And it turns out some people are collecting cards. They're basically beating trials to collect a full uh, deck of cards because they think it will qualify them for something else. But it's all very Mm -hmm. much conjecture in this 
first season, and I won't ruin the manga for anyone who's interested. But the challenges themselves make for fantastic dungeons and puzzles and trials and so on for for adventures because they're often just well they're complex enough to fit within an hour episode so that means they are just about perfect for the amount of back and forth that takes place in one session of an rpg and while some while some of them are a little skewed toward the GM in terms of difficulty, mm-hmm. uh, you can easily tone that down or make some of them more winnable. Uh, so, yeah, I very much recommend that one. That was interesting because um, uh, one of the people who worked on the translation of Pugmire Japanese follows me on Twitter, and so I started talking about this. He, uh, he started mentioning he followed it when I when it was serialized, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, I should say. Um, mm. And he pointed out that... Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! propagated the Game Master as antagonist trope in Japan, and apparently that's something that Japanese gaming culture is still trying to shrug off a bit more than we have been doing it in the West. Huh. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if some of that might be why Alice in Borderland had that slightly more antagonistic GM relationship. Yeah. Uh, well, again, I, I know the reason the GMs are antagonistic in that show and or manga, but I won't reveal it. It is one of the okay. better reveals in the series. But if it's one of the mangas that's mm. in your collection, Eddie, I definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. That sounds really cool. Uh, so, uh, we weren't he- just here to talk about uh, Japanese media. In fact, we weren't here to talk about <laughs> Japanese media at all. <laughs> this has been really funny for me because, like, manga and, uh, you know, like, that and anime and all this stuff is stuff that, like, I've been into since, you know, I was 10. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm. I'm like, if I start talking, we're just never going to finish this conversation. <laughs> so I'm just not going to start talking because everyone knows I like Sailor Moon and Utena and all the other ones that I, I follow. Battle Royale, Petra Mars. Like, I like anime, mostly anime from the 90s when I was reading it. So, right. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to get started in this. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should have a separate episode about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it would be an episode we might struggle to justify, but I'm sure we could manage it. I mean, we've spent fifth, <laughs> we'll nearly to, 15 We'll tie minutes. it to Exalted. It's fine. We'll tie it to Exalted. Have you read the Battle Royale manga, Dixie? Not all of it. Uh, I'm more of a fan of the novel, the original yeah. novel, and then also the movie. Um, mm. So I, I read some of the manga, but because it went on for so many volumes, they changed and added a lot of stuff in it. Um, and it, it was just like, it's, 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 it's okay. It wasn't my favorite thing. I prefer to... I'm not a big fan of most horror manga, I guess. It just doesn't do it for me. Like, yeah. I want to watch... Like, either I want to read about it, so I'm, like, imagining it in motion in my head, or I want to watch it, so I'm seeing it in motion on the screen. Um, mm. So, yeah, I've, 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 I've read a lot of horror manga, aside from, like, the weird stuff, like Junji Ito, um, yeah. because I find that that's just creepy and effective. <laughs> but in something like Battle Royale, when it is more like a Saw-type scenario, or, or, you know, like, Hunger Games-type scenario, where it's just people killing each other, I don't get quite as much from reading it as a manga as I do from the other versions. I would yeah, watch I'm a Battle not... Royale anime, though. Yeah, I've I've often wondered why they never made one. Uh, other than the gore factor, but that doesn't generally stop companies from making making I maybe it's just difficult anime. to get the rights <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe um but yeah i'm lo- currently looking at my shelf while we're talking and i can see the novel and the manga looking down at me uh it's yeah. it's very 
I, I see. I like the manga for giving the characters more depth, or some of the more obscure characters actual character sure. rather than yeah, just killing yeah, them that, straight that, away. That's good. Uh, but because I'm as as you know, I'm a big fan of just of plots that uh, revolve around characters uh, rather than around an existential thing. Uh, but in terms of the, I guess, and this may seem a bit seem a bit prudish of of me, uh, I find the gore and dialogue and cheesecake nature of the nudity in that manga a little too vulgar, a little too overbearing. Yeah. Oh, the the novel, obviously, the novel is whatever you picture in your head because it's just words on a page. The movie. Right while very controversial upon its release, isn't grotesque. You know, it's not an Eli Roth movie. It's not a Serbian film. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like that. It's it's the subject of who is getting killed rather than how they are dying. Uh, right. But the, the manga really seems to relish uh, the, the method by which people die. And yeah, it, I've got the whole set, but I would struggle to reread it, I feel. Yeah, oh. yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat where like I, I might have read it or been more into it as like an edgy teen, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, like, but that's 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 also back when I was reading like you know splatterpunk compilations because I was like gore, I like gore, like <laughs> older, and I was like I was like I don't like gore, I like nice. interesting storytelling. I was just trying to prove I was cool, you know, because yeah. like mm-hmm. all, all my friends liked horror movies and they all like the, the gross gory horror movies, and I was like I can handle gore, um, and that's that's how I desensitized myself to gore. So now I watch movies that have, you know, gore in them. And all I'm doing is going like, ooh, how'd they do that effect? That's cool. Like, right. that person's head just exploded. How, the, how did that happen? Like, you know, so I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, that is, that is not the kind of horror that I'm into anymore. It's just straight gore stuff. Hmm. Uh, but speaking of straight gore, we had the Onyx Path Convention uh, a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. <laughs> Brilliant segue. It was a bloodbath, I have to tell you. A bloodbath, utterly vulgar. The nudity was over the limit, I thought. I'm amazed Twitch allowed us to broadcast. (laughs) If you missed missed those videos, sorry, they will not be uh, scheduled for rebroadcast. You missed your chance. Uh, but luckily, just, just to I'll... clarify, there was no nudity at the Onyx Pathcast aside for or, or, or Pathcon, aside for maybe like a cat walking across the screen. There was some cat butt. <laughs> well, I can't help it that my cats refuse to wear clothes. I, I think you can help that. I think you can give them clothes. I, I've tried. I've tried. They just pull them right off. Hmm, that's unfortunate. Uh, my, but the my, convention, my cats are nudists. Uh, well, I guess good for them. Good for them. Uh, the. But one thing that wasn't a nudist was the Onyx Path Virtual Gaming Convention 2021. <laughs> trying to steer trying this so hard. away so hard. from between Charybidus and Scylla, but finding myself snared by both. And you two can our... decide which of the sea serpent and gluttonous whirlpool either of you are. Whirlpool, uh... whirlpool, whirlpool. <laughs> Oh, hey, speaking of uh, myth, 
Oh god, yes, yeah, uh, speaking of myth, uh, the virtual gaming convention took place. It isn't a myth, it did actually happen. Oh, but also uh, we had an announcement that was about myths, what Eddie that, was getting at. That's where I was, that's the same way I was going for, yeah. Oh god, what, what was it? I've forgotten at this point. We're it's it's, your, game. it's, it's, it's your, your game. It's your game. Oh, I can't take all the credit. In fact, I won't take any of the credit. This is, uh, <laughs> uh, Michele, uh, one of uh, our newest developers, and uh, he pitched a game that has become known as They Came From the Cyclops' Cave. We announced this at Onyx PathCon. I believe mm-hmm. we waited until the They Came From panel, so not everyone may know about this. Uh, but yeah, uh, They Came From the Cyclops' Cave is a game he pitched, and we are now currently working through the red lines on. I've got mm-hmm. a fantastic team for it. It is a game all about fantasy movies, uh, basically. But fantasy is a very broad church, and unlike some of the they came from games that are quite prescribed to a decade or two, uh, fantasy very much varies all the way from Clash of the Titans, Ray Harryhausen, uh, all the way back to things from the 1930s and lots of stop mm-hmm. motion through to where we've put a limit on it about 1994-1995 with Hercules and Xena, Legendary Journeys kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because yep. after that point one could argue fantasy gets good. And I think... (laughs) I think uh, the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings film, not the Hobbits movies, as we have covered in our Christmas episode, uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films really suddenly made fantasy get taken seriously in a way that they weren't critically before. And I know fantasy, sci-fi, horror has often been on the fringe of acceptability in sort of awards season, but fantasy was definitely not taken seriously until that time, mm-hmm. uh, barring a couple of outliers. And so this game spans almost a century's worth of fantasy, giving a... There's no real default setting, but it very much, uh, I guess, spins between ancient Greece because of the Titans kind of material, the um, uh, Voyages of Sinbad, so a bit of Arabian Nights kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, Conan the Barbarian, and Sword and Sorcery of the 1980s, uh, through to going back to the more camp version of ancient Greece, where the costumes are really bad, but everyone's having a lot of fun in Xena Warrior Princess. Uh, so we've got a lot of ground to cover in it, but we intend to make this our fantasy they came from, and I'm very happy with how it's turning out. And all credit to Michaeli mm-hmm. for making that suggestion, because uh, we we accepted that pitch, we moulded it a little, then we took him on as a co-developer, and uh, between he and I and all of the wonderful writing team, we will hopefully make this the fourth in the They Came From trilogy, and a game a lot of people enjoy. <laughs> But but remarking upon it being that they came from trilogy does of course imply that there's a third they came from game <laughs> uh, because uh, we haven't announced that on the Onyx Pathcast yet and although it is technically my game I don't want to be doing all the talking so um, Eddie why don't you talk about they came from classified? <laughs> oh, fair enough. So um, for a long time we've been talking on the. Uh... Yeah, but they've done Pathcast too, but also on the Monday Meeting blog about a, a, a game called They Came From Classified. And we said we'll announce the full title at Onyx PathCon. And, we and then I almost title. spoiled it two weeks ago. Wait, you did. 
<laughs> but we cut that out. So did I. So did I. We edited it. <laughs> um, and so we announced that the full title of the game from last slide is the game from classified. Um, that actually was the title all along, uh, hiding in plain sight because it is a game about espionage and spies. Um, perfect. Perfect. Like Matthew suggested, um, this is a little more kind of timeline constrained, similar to beyond the grave and uh, beneath the sea. Um, it is very much that kind of, uh, 60s uh, spy boom craze. So like the early James Bond films, but also uh, Man from Uncle, uh, the British Avengers, not the American Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that The Prisoner, that whole late 60s explosion of espionage films, particularly the TV shows and films that were not as great as James Bond films. Uh, so yeah. um, also cover things like uh, Secret Agent Super Dragon um, and another kind of, really obvious knockoffs um i spy you know the the bill cosby uh show stuff like that that are, that are yeah get smart is get smart, yeah. in there as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um get smart uh and austin powers are two and i think it's the first time we've really found some strong uh, uh tropes that are doing the same kind of satire the game is like with the other ones um, with *They Came the Sea*, it was very much the, the this movie you're taking seriously, but we're not taking them seriously. And then with *Beyond the Grave*, it's the players are also taking it a little bit seriously, but it's just the, the mechanisms, the game that are kind of playing up the camp of it. Um, and the later uh, *Camp Murder Lake* is really when we start getting into the movies are becoming self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but with classified, there was both a uh, time period appropriate satire with Get Smart and also a later satire that still was very clearly set in the 60s, or at least uh, aesthetically was set in the 60s. Um, yeah. So it's, but that's the first time where people are immediately come to a, a kind of a cultural touchstone that is also the same kind of satire the game is doing. But we also went some very different directions uh, with it. Like I know we talked very early on, Matthew, about um, the balance of innuendo in the game, finding the right kind of tone for that. Yes, um, yes. Uh, well, yeah, the, because the temptation is just to make an Austin Powers game. Uh, because right. Austin Powers is the, whether you like it or not, uh, as in whether you like the movie or not, whether you, it doesn't matter whether you agree with me, but whether you like Austin Powers or not, it is the ultimate in spy parodies uh, next to, I guess, Spy Hard, starring Leslie Nielsen. But mm-hmm. that isn't... Uh, recognized nearly as widely as the Austin Powers franchise, which it really ramps up an element of spy media that wasn't really spoken about uh, in humor up Mm. until Austin Powers, which is, of course, the uncanny sexiness of the spy. uh, You know, there wasn't actually any reason for him to be so damn successful with Mm -hmm. all of his liaisons, but somehow he always was. Again, the uncanny ability for villains to always fail at their plots, talk through them, his henchmen always miss what they're doing, miss their shots, that kind of thing. Um, The lazy martial arts, the and the psychedelia, which is one of something I may touch on further with Classify when it comes back from edits is, uh, and it's something that only occurred to me recently, is that for some reason, and I don't know why entirely, it was in espionage movies that the hippie movement and and psychedelic effects and the like mm-hmm. really started entering the mainstream. And I did a bit of research into this recently. I know this is a bit of a tangent, but it's something that perplexes me, and I would love to find an answer Uh 
is that it was in uh, shows like The Prisoner and, mm. uh, to a lesser extent, The Man from Uncle in the god-awful Casino Royale, the original one. <laughs> and uh, and uh, um, our man Flint and things like that that you get lots of psychedelic effects, drug trips, and uh, flower power kind of stuff. In contrast to the supposedly straight laced protagonist, I mean that's, uh, that's that, that's my theory as to why that happened. It's because it's a really good foil for your, you know, super straight-laced protagonist. Yeah, except they're not villains. That's the thing. It's not like uh, Greenpeace is the villain of the piece. It's It just seems to be that it's there because it was there mm-hmm. in society at the time. But it wasn't reflected in the other uh, as much of the other movies of the time. The, same, the horror, for instance. Um, horror took psychedelia in a completely different way. It's made... Mm. Um, it very much clamped onto the Manson family side, I suppose, uh, um, rather than the actual hippie movement. Right. Whereas uh, spy movies and fiction kind of saw it as a good thing. I guess that's how it, Austin Powers presents it. But anyway, um, anyway. Well, one, one piece of that, um, because I, I find it interesting, um, is that at the same time, uh, science fiction was also kind of mainstreaming psychedelia. Uh, Doctor Who definitely did. Star Trek did some. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I think spy movies were kind of caught in that middle of, um, their protectors of the status quo, but also they, by the nature of their, uh, job description, they get involved in the, the margins of society and the, yeah. the, the more trade parts of society. And so that was seen as kind of exotic and interesting to explore. So I think it's that kind of, here's a way that's something that is exotic enough that it will contrast with the relative straight laced. Mm-hmm. Um, espionage folks, but also simultaneously is not so shocking that people will recoil from those elements. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, I know we have remarked upon it a few times on panels and elsewhere, but classified at this point feels like the cleanest, sharpest version of They Came From, mm-hmm. which is appropriate given the subject matter. Um, I am... Incredibly happy with the manuscript for this one. I am really happy with the antagonists in this one, which is mm-hmm. maybe a strange thing to highlight because there's so many good things in it. But the way we have presented antagonists across the different they came from has differed from book to book. And Classified has them presented as villain dossiers, essentially. You have masterminds, and you have henchmen, and you have uh, biographies, you have their traits, and you have their special rules. But they are presented as if someone at the agency is telling you all about this person. Watch out, agent, this person will come at you in a blimp, kind of thing. Nice. Uh, <laughs> is obsessed with controlling the weather. Uh so so where so take your umbrella with you that sort of thing, uh, but that that was a lot of fun and to I can't think of that everyone who has worked on classified who has come back to me about it uh, to give me their thoughts on working on that game has said this was the most fun they came from they've worked on or in some cases this is the most fun game they've worked on and that is really heartening and I hope that is reflected through the manuscript I feel it is so yeah that's what I felt about Grave so yeah yeah well I'm I'm really heartened about that as well to be honest Uh, because uh, sorry to go on 
But when you hear people have enjoyed working on a project of yours, and not to share the love too much, going back into our hippie movement here, but one of the most fun projects I've worked on was Pirates of Pugmire. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've said to Eddie before, it was just such a joy to work on that book. There was, And I want more people to read it because I think it feels just like a joyful role-playing game source book, just fantastic. But as mm-hmm. a developer, when you find out that the writers on your team, or and even more rarely, but when you sometimes find out the artists loved working on pieces for a particular project, it makes you think that, we've created something good here. This isn't just a game. This was a really pleasurable experience for the people involved. Uh, so I'm, I'm very happy with that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, what you were saying is like, I agree that uh, beyond the grave is a very similar experience. So, I mean, it, it definitely is like a level of it hit a level. And then this one's about the same, if not maybe slightly higher, but it's a very small amount, but they're both very enjoyable experiences. Um, but one thing that, I don't think we've talked a lot about with classified that I think is interesting to kind of point out is that it is also our stealth detective game to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, detective is one of the archetypes that's playable. Um, and so we've talked a lot about um, the, the 60 spy things, but with almost no work, you can also move into uh, your set early seventies, uh, Kojak, um, Starsky and Hutch, um, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Um, which led me to a realization of the aesthetics of the, the 60s um, and slightly earlier and uh, the, the detective there is that you can use They Came From Classified to play Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. Which, which, for the record, was my one contribution to that book. Yes. Because <laughs> I really wanted a character named something like Claudia Las Vegas. And that uh, is now her name. Yes, yes. And I was... I was so excited when I saw the classified game that happened at the con that she got used because yeah. I was I so just for the listeners I was on the book and I had to leave for just time reasons I, I did not have time to work on it um mm. there's a lot going on uh luckily I, I dropped off early in the project as we ask people to do if they're going to so that other people can pick it up um but the one thing because I was a huge Carmen San Diego fan as a kid <laughs> is that I really 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 wanted to have an international <laughs> like art thief named something like Carmen San Diego. And then mm. she and, and and then I got to see her get played and it was really exciting for me. So yeah. She is the most successful gambler in the world in mm-hmm. uh, they came from classified uh, Claudia Las Vegas. I think her real name is Claudia Campari maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that I just I, I love so many of the villains in that book. Tex Apocalypse, one of Hiromi's inventions, <laughs> who is of course a Tex and arms dealer. He appeared in the uh, classified actual play we did at the convention mm-hmm. too. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of them who are a lot of fun, including one with a very rude translation. If you translate their name from the language it's in, which I won't ruin for people, uh, <laughs> but it's. In my opinion, it's no worse than Pussy Galore or Octopussy right. or any other variations that include the word pussy in. Um, <laughs> we did say cat, but occurred at the convention, so... Yeah, yeah. And uh, to the point that during our actual play of They Came From Classified, we had an informant called Fanny Galore... No, not Fanny Galore. Fanny... Fanny Aplenty. Um... <laughs> 
which which means something slightly different <laughs> in British English than American, yes. but most people know. Most people know. Um, it, uh, yeah. My wife suggested Fanny Abundance because I was saying, what's a what's a variation on Pussy Galore that we can use? Because if P- Pussy Galore is acceptable in Goldfinger, we have to have something similar for Classified. Mm-hmm. And my wife suggested Fanny Abundance. And so, yeah, I, it was changed slightly to Fanny Aplenty, but which, I, I think it actually is actually, And it has the advantage of being actually genuinely clever as opposed to Pussy Galore. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the horrific, the horrifically named Octopussy. Yeah, um, they're not real names, but Fanny is an actual woman's name, so that's actually genuinely clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that isn't all. Those weren't the only announcements that we made at uh, Onyx PathCon. Um, what else did we announce, Dixie? Uh, we talked about uh, Squeaks in the Deep. We didn't really. We... What, else, what else did we actually announce at the con? Well, no, but we 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 um, talked more about it. We had the actual play about it. Um, we've been doing some playtesting of it relatively recently, and of course, um, the by the time you're listening to the Kickstarter, should hopefully be going live very soon. Ooh. Hopefully, <laughs> um, uh, this time next week, I believe, uh, we'll be we're going live. So, um, oh yeah, so it wasn't like an announcement per se, but it was definitely uh, something we. Uh, talked up a lot about because it's our next big uh pugmire book and and, uh, i definitely wanted to get the same kind of um where matthew's talking about uh pirates pugmire is very kind of joyful and and fun um i tried to do something similar with this but inject a little more kind of uh spookiness or as Mm -hmm. Ian put it spookiness um it's not not a horror book in the traditional sense it but it is um using horror uh, uh visual elements and and terminology to kind of get across the 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 halloween haunted house vibe yeah yeah it's a little darker and shadowier than most uh than the other pugmire stuff uh i will the first time that we played and we had to fight a giant centipede made of baby heads um like plastic doll heads i was Mm -hmm. like okay this is creepy good all right (laughs) that's a wonderful image yeah yeah, it was very scary that that's also the extreme edge of the creepiness i think um, it's like that's creepy, but also it's not going to get much further than that. Um, but it's also it, it's um, the one of the things that I'm really pleased how it turned out. Um, much like Matthew said, um, there's so much I really enjoyed about the manuscript. So it's hard to pick things out necessarily. But one of the things I wanted to do is <clears throat> I wanted to get the feel of a mega dungeon across those big sprawling undergrounds uh, things that could take an entire campaign themselves. But I didn't want to actually have giant maps full of nothing in them because that's what a lot of mecha dungeons end up being in my experience. So instead, uh, we uh, put together just little um, bits and pieces that you can find, little encounters that uh, some of which are uh, plot hooks, some of which are a small adventure in and of themselves, some mm-hmm. of which are just weird things that happen. And you can stitch them together however you want to so you can have like a nice thematic connection between all these and tell an actual story between them or you just have random nonsense appearing in the dark and scare, try to scare the pants off your players. So, I mean, it, it, anything can go in those directions. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was really happy about that. And also, um, the fans finally dig into not only rats and mice as playable characters, but also psionics, something I've been wanting to do for a while with yeah. um, Pugmire. Um, you have so- a really good psionic system in the book, too. I'm, I'm very, like, I have, I have played with it a little bit 
uh, probably more than most people aside from you, Eddie, mm-hmm. uh, since I, I've been in a lot of the playtests. And it, it, it's been a lot of fun. I, uh, I enjoy using psionics, even as a character who that's not their main focus, because um, I was playing a, a mouse rascal, which is more right. of a, like, you know, swordsman type. Um, but yeah, I, I very much enjoyed the occasional use of psionics to mess with people. It was fun. Yeah, and it's definitely, um, uh, one of the damage, I don't think I've talked about openly about it, but is, um, uh, I didn't want this to be a superhero book in the sense of power level. I don't want it to be mm-hmm. an aberrant or a scion. Right. Um, but definitely things like Umbrella Academy and X-Men are kind of an inspiration of the, um, a group of people who are kind of hated and feared by society, but also have unusual powers. Mm-hmm. That, that and so I everyone every mouse and rat has to potentially get some psychic powers. Um, obviously those that are you know, like the psychic will have a lot more access to them, and those are kind of the analogous to magic users. But everyone has at least one or two tricks up their sleeve that they can use. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I wanted to give people a reason to go. Oh, that mouse is looking at me funny. Something weird's happening, and there may actually be something behind that. Right. You know? So uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm. Like I said, it wasn't an announcement per se, but more kind of giving more information and ramping up. And, and uh, I think the convention, like Dixie said, really showed that uh, there's like some excitement behind it. Um, uh, were you in the convention Game of Squeaks too, or was that me? Yeah, no, that was just okay. Horrible Tales. Um, okay. I was, I, I just played Anima. Because you've been in two, and uh, Ever's been in two, so you're, I think you're both tied. Are we tied? Well, no, because I. I bet I played more than two, but yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. I played two. I don't know. <laughs> all right, we're gonna we're gonna have to run another one so Dixie can. Uh, can I played a lot that. of games. All right. Funny you should mention that. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. Yeah. Um, because um, uh, Vorpal Tales have been really cool about doing uh, games during all of our Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just wrapped up an Exalted Essence game as we wrapped up the Exalted Kickstarter, for example. Um, and so Dixie and I are both playing in another, a Squeaks and Deep game with Vorpal Tales. Wait, 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 Eddie. Yes. Did you say you were playing in a game? I know it's a weird word. Um, it, it took me a while to get used to it. Uh, but yes, I'm actually playing P- in a Pathfinder P- game. Playing. I've never heard the like. This is nonsense. Nonsense. Slander. <laughs> I, I looked it up online. Apparently, it's a real word that exists. I was shocked. Eddie, what are so you going to play in our game? Hmm. Uh, I'm going to play a mouse psychic named Basil. Basil? Yes. I wonder where you got no. that from. Totally not from Basil and Baker Street. It's totally not. <laughs> I'm actually not playing a mouse or a no, rat. I am playing a snake uh, because I have never seen anybody play my lizard l- lizard alkalist, which is one of my favorite callings I've ever written because mm-hmm. they are they are bomb throwers. <laughs> and I thought that like a weird snake scientist who likes to make bombs would fit in well with rats and mice and all their weird science stuff. Um, so I think I'm going to play a snake who is, uh, an adherent to the hundred theories Ooh. of, uh, on, 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 on some level or like a, a like science worshiper as opposed to a sun worshiper. So he is totally happy to go underground with his mouse friends and, and find out more about science. Nice. Um, nice. so yes, I am very excited to be playing a snake for the first time in this game. Cause I have only played furry characters until now. So well, yeah, that was, that was speak. Sweet. Yeah, but um, speaking of speaking of you, Dixie, uh, while mm-hmm. this wasn't an announcement, there was a, a campaign ongoing during the convention, which was very close to to your 
bailiwick. Uh, in fact, <laughs> it was your bailiwick. Uh, it was. And it, it has concluded uh, recently. What campaign was it? How did it do? It was Exalted Essence, uh, which I've talked about at length on the podcast. So I'm not going to go too into like what it is. You can listen to any other episode where I talked about it. Um, it did really, really well. We uh, we ended at like 998% funded or something, <laughs> like almost 1,000% yeah. funded. Uh, well over 4,000 backers. Uh, I think we were only a couple hundred shy of the original Exalted Third campaign uh backer wise it's just that those, those 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 books were more expensive <laughs> so they got a little bit more money but um yeah we're we're very excited we we, we funded a companion that should be about half ish the size of the core book um which will have a lot more options in it for charms and some more player advice and a little bit more setting info uh we have funded uh four adventures so we're gonna do a jump start and then an ad- 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 adventure trilogy much like we've done for like Mao or whatever you know yeah. uh, like three 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 books or three adventures that go together um we are gonna partner with nerdy Keppy to make a really cool bag you can carry your gaming stuff around in like a cool exalted essence bag awesome. so i'm excited for that because i like merchandise that isn't just t-shirts and i want to have an exalted bag that i can carry all my dice around in and like put some pins on and stuff and carry to conventions so that'll be really fun um yeah no we've we've funded all kinds of stuff we've got three novellas from uh some of our better known fiction writers uh mm-hmm. james huggins lauren roy and ray cole uh so yeah mm-hmm. we're we're we have funded all kinds of cool stuff uh we haven't really started on the companion or anything yet because we still got work to do on the core obviously um but we ha- i have seen the novella writers throwing around ideas already and they're all very excited to write these mixed exalt group novellas uh that 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 showcase what all they can do so yeah it went really well we had a a last minute retweet by matthew mercer (laughs) yeah that uh really bumped us up there someone had told me right at the beginning of the campaign that he was a fan and like full disclosure i don't watch critical role i I, i'm bad at watching actual plays although i am obviously familiar with who matt mercer is um he's the guy who time travels in uh trinity right yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and somebody found a tweet of his where it was like, "Oh, what, what, what games have you run the most?" And Exalted was on there, and mm. so I, I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll tweet at him." And the first time I did, uh, it was during Critical Role because I obviously don't know when it airs, <laughs> and I was like, "Oops." And then I, we, we had twenty four hours to go. I was like, "I was like, hey, uh, just last ditch effort. We have this little Kickstarter going on." It's a great way to get new players into the game, much like Critical Role has gotten a lot of new players into D&D, you know. I, I, I just want to make you aware of it. Like, yeah, a, re- a retweet would be cool, but if I've done nothing else, I wanted to be like, hey, Matt Mercer, this exists, you know, because you're apparently an Exalted fan. And uh, he retweeted it, and we got a shit ton of additional backers in the last <laughs> minute. Uh, we, 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 we were thinking we were not going to hit one of our last stretch goals, and then we hit like three more. So nice. yeah, it was it was a really good campaign. It was a wild ride start to finish. Um, I'm taking a small break from the Exalted fan discord. I love all of you if you're listening. I just needed to like not for one week or so. Right. Uh, I hope then, yeah. I hope that Matt Mercer on that episode of Critical Role is doing his thing, and then suddenly you, the viewer, hear bzz, bzz of his phone going off. He <laughs> checks it, sees your tweet, and just says, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" and <laughs> and that your I, tweet disrupts his game 
I would assume that someone like Matthew Mercer does not have Twitter notifications on on his phone. I would assume he probably so gets too. tagged every five seconds. Well, you never know. You may just have been the first person to have the gall to do it. <laughs> yeah, Highly I'm doubtful. Sure that's totally true. Highly doubtful. <laughs> We we did have a couple more announcements that we should talk about. I think the one you were trying to prompt me for earlier was a Trinity one, and I just skipped it on our list because that's who I am as a person. Uh, well, it's because uh, Ian is is uh, all of our arch enemy now. Uh, but before we get <laughs> on to the fantastic announcement that is Trinity Continuum Aether, uh-huh. I have to say, f- firstly, congratulations, Dixie. The Exalted campaign was a resounding success. I mm-hmm. also have to say congratulations to Eddie because he beat me in the bet as to how the Exalted Essence Kickstarter would yes. go. Uh, he beat me by one dollar. To be fair. It's all but yeah, uh, but I think that means I owe him either a can, bottle, or bag of Coke. Uh, I can't remember what now. It was some some kind of Coke was going to be exchanged. Uh, one in... of those costs a lot more than the other two. <laughs> well, that's what that's why I am trying to ascertain which because I don't want to overspend, and yet I don't want to underspend and look foolish. So, uh, just so TSA, just be aware that when I enter the US <laughs> next, uh, I will be bringing oh some God. kind of Coke with me, and uh, yeah, hopefully it's not one that will get me stuck. If it is, I will put you uh, on Eddie because that he's the buyer. All of those would actually get you taken away. From yes, you they, take on the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They because would. One yeah. is an illegal narcotic, and the other two are liquids. <laughs> <laughs> what if you? What if you dehydrated Coca Cola and powdered it? Mm, I think it would turn what? into sort of brown powder, though, wouldn't it? You'd have to. Yeah, really, but that um... wouldn't look like Coke. So they would not. You could say it was chocolate. No. Isn't um, isn't it would look more like heroin, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm just I don't know what heroin now. looks like, Matthew. <laughs> Black tar uh, well, coke. yes, there we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All I can think of right now is the scene in the Batman '66 movie or whatever where they dehydrate the UN. Yes, uh, they're they're all multicolored tubes of uh, of yeah. sand, yes. basically of salt. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, uh, so yes, there was another announcement that wasn't anything to do with our Class A drug habit, and it was for <laughs> Trinity Continuum Aether. I think I just realized uh, that all the announcements are yours, Matthew. I know, that's why I was trying to spread the love around, because otherwise it would have just been <laughs> me talking. <laughs> uh, it, I don't know how this happened, but somehow I got on to three new games within the last three months or so. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Trinity Continuum Aether uh, was one of them. And this was a game I... Uh, did I pitch it or did I just yeah. agree to it? Yeah, I guess I did. No, you pitched it. Uh, you pitched yeah, it. it was a while ago. You'll have to forgive me, listeners. I think I pitched it during the year of time dilation. Well, so, I, yeah, so, so I, I actually mm. know what happened. Um, if you remember during um, our summit, which was actually in 2020... Yes. Um, yeah. You and Rich start talking about your love of the War of the Worlds album. Yeah, and, as as people yeah. know, I love it. Um, I tell everyone, as we know Ooh, from this podcast. La. Right, exactly. Du, du, du. And so um, during one of our discussions, uh, you, had, you said that you know, you could be a game made of this. And Rich was like, well, you know, we want to do this Victorian Trinity game. And so why don't you pitch that? And so you did, but then 
other stuff happened. And so we sat in the pitch for quite a while, actually, partially because we had to get a venture and Aberdeen out the door, partially because it was a year and partially because you had other things on your plate. So it took a while mm. before we actually moved ahead with it. Yeah, we weren't exactly in a rush. Uh, there are yeah. a few Trinity books coming, but now is a good time to actually have started working on Aether. And so that is what we are doing. And uh, to explain what Aether is, uh, as mentioned, it is set in the 19th century, specifically the late 19th century, around 1895. And it is a game that incorporates Martians from War of the Worlds, along with various other public domain fictional characters from that period. Uh, but not as just a sort of grab bag of, woohoo, you recognize this person, aren't you smart? It's a means of explaining how some of the elements of our favourite fiction of the period, whether it's Sherlock Holmes or Dracula or anything by H.G. Wells, actually occurred in the world of Trinity, in the Trinity continuum. Uh, mm -hmm. But by the time adventure happens, somehow those things are seen as fiction. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got a nice sort of Rube Goldberg scientific method behind it. This idea of um, sort of spinning, unwinding uh, a sort of Edison-Tesla conflict or perhaps union uh, mm -hmm. with Moriarty thrown into the mix as well. Uh, that results in people being able to alter reality with these devices and medicines, alchemies and the like. None of the power starts off uh, talents and novas as they exist in later games or later set games don't exist so much there's no such thing as internalized power at least not for starting characters everything is activated through pioneering technology and medicine which matches the era quite nicely with the industrial revolution and so on and so we have all of these characters who are able to basically warp reality with devices that shouldn't theoretically function and yet somehow mm. do. And to the person who ex who is very familiar with Trinity, they will be able to sort of see the fingerprints of Flux all over the place. But at this point, it is described as Aether, hence because of the era. Aether being right, the, right. what uh, I guess at one point considered the fifth element or something like that. Um, so it's a game again. We're gonna we're having a lot of fun with it. We're still in first drafts. We've got a brilliant team of writers on board. It will play into the continuity that already exists for Trinity. Uh, it isn't going to describe any kind of global Hammersmith-like event where everyone in the world is wielding these fantastic machines and fighting Martians. Most of it is going to be localized to a setting or period favored by the story guide. Uh, so there'll be a lot of flexibility there. Uh, but you will be able to do things like visit Mars inexplicably or journey to the mm. center of the Earth or go to the land that time forgot or do all these things that exist in the fiction of the time. And then you've got to kind of deal with the repercussions of opening that hole that allows you to get there because there are repercussions and sealing it up again isn't always good for you, the character. There may be sort of backlash from that too. So yeah, uh, it's I'm not going to re reveal too much more because we're still in very early stages. Things may change, mm -hmm. but from a broad conceptual level, that is what Trinity Continuum Aether is all about. A bit of steampunk yeah. for your lives. Yeah, it is. It's honestly one of the first games that I've had like instant like it 
if if I ran this, here's what I would do. Because as y'all know, I am a big like Victorian era fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think it would be really, really cool to start a game at uh, Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee, which was also mm-hmm. a giant exhibition um, that, that had people from like all over the world. It's like a, it's a pretty multicultural affair for something that happened in, you know, London at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then just getting weirder from there, like something weird happens there. But that is such a cool event, in my opinion. It is so interesting, like what all happened during the Diamond Jubilee, if you haven't. Look it up. Feel free to. It's 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 an interesting time, um, and yeah, it's like just getting getting weird from there. Yeah. There there are some. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I'll just I'll just butt in briefly, right. just to say that, just to I guess jive with what Dixie's saying. There are wonderful events, although there's obviously the awfulness of colonialism that exists oh, at yeah. the time uh, globally yeah. you know um, there's also a wonderful collaborative sense of pioneering uh, that exists as you say around the time of the jubilee with the world's fair that would take place every year mm-hmm. uh, with the crystal palace in in london um, which i don't know if it was actually erected for the queen's jubilee but it I was it certainly was. around that time mm-hmm. yeah and right. still stood for another 20 years or so afterwards i think it ended up getting demolished during one of the wars in the 20th century otherwise it would have just been bombed flat because it was made of glass i imagine it was very hot oh, you know there. what i was wrong it was actually first built to house the 1851 great exhibition it does Ah, well, in that oh. case, it lasted a good 70 years or so. Um, yeah. Mm, hmm. uh, but, oh. yeah, uh, so it's there's all these events that you can run at the time that can act as a justification for playing a nice, diverse crew. You don't mm. have to all be awful British empire, empire, empire types wearing pith helmets and with big bushy mustaches and elephant guns. Um, There's all kinds of reasons to play people from all over the world. And in a sense, the power of Aether works as a good leveler uh, because everyone has access to this. Everyone theoretically can access it and manipulate it. And I I find that a lot of fun. Uh, But sorry, Eddie, uh, I did interrupt you. No. No, that's right. Um, I had just a, a few random things I wanted to throw out in regards to Aether. Um, uh, one is, uh, to kind of tie back to our earlier digression, um, if you want to play in a Victorian setting with public domain characters in a way that punches up, um, Moriarty the Patriot is a, is a very mm-hmm. new manga slash anime that is very Aetherish. Um, and I'll probably fit very well into an Aether game, exactly the kind of stuff that you were talking about, Matt. I could not tell just now if you said Aetherish or Eat the Rich, but both are good. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, eat the I rich, like that. But yes. Eat, but yes, eat we're the going, Rich. Eat the Rich. We, yeah. We're going to need a piece of art now, aren't we, with some graffiti on a wall where <laughs> Aetherish is divided Eat-ish. to look like Eat the Rich. Mm. Oh, okay, nice. I'm going to have to keep this in my head. Yeah. Um, the other one is, as you had mentioned, that this is a smaller kind of section of the world. And that's something I think we're going to do as a general trend for Trinity. Um, because the big core games, uh, uh, Aeon, Adventure, and Aberrant, are very much, these are world-changing events. Um, mm. Whether there's a distinctive event like uh, the Hammersmith or the explosion of the, um, the satellite, or whether it's just kind of uh, uh, so massive in scope like Aeon. Um 
for, for subsequent games that kind of fit between those, we're probably going to go smaller scope. Um, so you can see kind of the things that happen uh, uh, in, in, not in the margins of history, but kind of like, you know, in between those huge iconic moments of the continuum. So uh, both Anima and uh, Aether are, are going in that direction. That's intentional direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the third is that surprising absolutely everyone. I imagine not writing on this. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised um, me as well. Purposes. Yeah, no, it's just time reasons. We couldn't make it work. <laughs> Um, but uh, certainly I am on the Slack and, and throwing way too much Sherlock Holmes information in. Uh, but uh, like all the Trinity games, this is the last point, um, we do try to have connections between the games. Uh, uh, none of them are required. You could pick up any of the Trinity games and play it and have a perfectly wonderful time, but mm-hmm. all of them do have little bits and pieces and connections to other games. Um, so Aether is no difference in the connections. All I'll say is it is not the game you expect it to connect to. And we'll just leave it there. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> right. Uh, well, we've uh, hit our hour mark, and there are still thing there are still things we can talk about from the convention, like games we played, uh, our experiences. But let's let's save that. Other than to two-parter. say, yeah. Well, we could do a two parter. Uh, we could. Uh, I think there's still things we can talk about our experiences of playing games, running games at the con, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, just just our highlights and areas of improvement that we might want to talk about. Uh, but one thing I do want to make sure we say in this episode is a huge thank you to not just everyone who tuned in and participated, paid to play in games and mm-hmm. all of that, because that well, that is fantastic. And mm-hmm. I am grateful for that. Thank you so much for that. But not just a thank you to you people, but also a thank you to all of the people organized with us that ran games with yeah. us, the Vorpal Tales is of the world, the Occultist Anonymous is, <laughs> the Dork Tales, the, you know, it, we, we had so much assistance and so enthusiastic with it that it made the convention go wonderfully. And all of, the, all of your help running these games, uh, running tech, making sure people stuck to schedule, making sure invites were sent out, all of that, you know, I know occasionally there may have been hiccups, but I think for the most part, really for the most part, uh, the convention went about as well as we could have possibly wanted, and it's mm-hmm. all credit to all of the you people who who helped us and did so so happily, and who love our games so much, and we we are so grateful that you do. So thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So, with that said, so we will probably re- return to the subject of the Onyx Path Con at another episode, whether it's the next yeah. one or one after, we will have to see. Uh, because there are even some games that we could talk about that were discussed on panels. Uh, a peek behind the curtain, listeners, but the original plan for this episode was for me to chop out certain snippets from panels where we announced games and we could then reflect on them. And it started off really well. <laughs> and then it it depended on who was in the panel. I'm not naming any names, but some people might actually. You know what, Dixie? You are not <laughs> the guilty party here. <laughs> wow! I would put it for the most part. I would really put myself, Michaela, and Barker on notice because they <laughs> the they came from panel that the three of us were on was a. 
chaotic shambles. It went. It was entertaining, <laughs> but we spent most of it arguing about it. Bond movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I uh, I uh, watched it while I was eating breakfast, having my coffee and stuff, because that was that was early for for, for me. So. Is that why yeah, Barker po- had to post his Bond list to the Slack? No, no, he just. He, well, I think that probably spurred him to do it. I didn't ask him, but I think he was so incensed oh, okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> that I think Goldeneye is a really not very good movie. Um, but nevertheless, uh, so yeah, in the end, we've done our meandering reflections as a trio and. Personally, I prefer this uh, because I like getting a chance to chat with my colleagues and friends uh, without too much structure. Uh, but yeah, we, we will uh, we will get to do another episode on this subject. And before I keep going on, Eddie, if people wanted to find you online, where would they go? Uh, you can find me online at pugsteady.com or on Twitter at pugsteady. And how about you, Dixie? You can find me all over the place at Dixie Cyanide. I mostly hang out in the discords and you can find my website at DixieCochran.com. They can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. They can now once again find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP because, yes, my suspension has been lifted and I regret it. I feel like uh, the old guy in Shawshank Redemption now uh, because I... (laughs) I was suspended for so long, two weeks, that I became institutionalized <laughs> to the idea of not being on Twitter. And now that I've been exposed to that world again, I realize it's a world that I do not know and do not trust. Uh, so I may try and get myself suspended. We'll have to see. Uh, but yeah, you can find me at Dawkins MP on Twitter, and you can find all of us on theonyxpath.com. You can find all of us at the Onyx Path Discord, which is linked in the show notes, and we would really love it if you appeared there and gave your comments on the podcast and our products. And with all that said, many worlds, one podcast. <laughs>